I'm going back to Cali, styling, profiling, growling and smiling while in the sun. The top is down on the black Corvette, and it's fly because it's sitting on Dayton's. Lorenz steering wheel plushed out gold leaf phantom top and three girls waiting. Vroom engines blowing. The chrome is shining. Passing all the cars on the way. Movement of the wind. Back wheels spin. Pop in a cassette and push play. I'm going back to Cali. To Cali. To Cali. I'm going back to Cali. I don't think so. I'm going back to Cali, to Cali, to Cali. I'm going back to Cali. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think so. Hello and welcome once again to Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. I am Chris Levine and I will be your host again this time around. Okay, check this out. According to the spring.org UK website, in a false memory study in 1995, there is a lady named Elizabeth Loftus and she and her researchers recruited 24 participants who were to be presented with four stories from when they were between four and six years old. Now, three of these stories were absolutely true, and one of them was absolutely false. You may wonder, well, where did they get the stories? Well, to get them, the researchers spoke to the participants' relatives to get three events for each person which actually happened in their lives. The events were chosen so that they were not super traumatic or maybe emotionally difficult to recall. Each family was also asked to provide the circumstances of another event that could possibly have happened, but didn't. And this is basically the gist of this experiment. This was the target false memory that they were going to implant in this study. In each case, the false memory was this. When you were little, you got lost in a shopping mall. Now, relatives provided details for the false memory by giving them a specific shopping mall it could have been, along with other details to make the fake story seem pretty realistic and plausible. They also confirmed that an event like this had not actually occurred. So there was no doubt that it was a false memory. It wasn't real. Participants themselves were told that they were involved in a study about their ability to recall details of childhood memories in general. They were not told that it was about false memory. So each participant was first sent a written description of the four events that their relatives had come up, 
come up with that they had outlined. Remember, three of these were things that they actually did go through as a child. And one was the fake one, the mall one, the false memory. They were then asked to write down which events that they remember and more details of the events that would make it more, again, realistic. Then, soon after, they interviewed the participants. Check this out. At this point, they were reminded about the four memories and asked to recall as much as they could about each one of the memories. Then they did it again a week later. A second interview, a similar procedure was followed. At the end of both interviews, participants rated the clarity of their memories, including the false memory. It was then revealed to them that one of them was not real, and they were asked to guess which one it was. So here's the results. Of the 24 participants, five people falsely recalled the false memory as a real memory of getting lost in a mall, which never happened. Although participants understandably found the false memory much less clear. Now this may seem, wait a minute, five out of 24, and that's not that impressive of a proportion, but considering the very low level of suggestion or coercion involved in these interviews, it does show something. It shows the possibility of implanting false memories in other people. And let's just take it up another notch here. A later study with more participants, which examined a wider range of memories, was carried out in 1996. This one found that depending on experimental variables, at least some kind of false memory could be implanted between 20 and 40% of the participants. Now, I find all this stuff interesting. I hope you do too. You know what it tells me? It tells me that we are susceptible to remember what we choose to remember. And we can believe what we want to believe. And if we don't like our options... We can simply make something up and firmly believe whatever it is that has either been created for us or what we've created ourselves to believe. The, the thing is, many are adamantly convinced that this being lost in the mall thing actually happened to them. Well, this all makes me wonder, how many of my memories are true? You know, my initial instinct is to think that all of them are, especially since they weren't planted there by somebody else. But we as people very much self-protect. So if anything, I think we probably block out memories more than we create false ones. Another thing that we can do on accident is to mix memories together. Adding a person accidentally to a memory that may or may not have been there, for example. The Healthline website suggests that old memories you've already been aware of might take on different meanings as you get older. Later in life, they may make more sense. Uh, these new meanings may emerge during therapy or simply as you just get older. You gain life experience and then things become way more clear. And I, I totally find this true and fascinating. 
It's like when you see a movie as a kid and you don't understand the adult humor in it. And then you see it later and you're like, why was I allowed to see this as a kid? <laughs> Say, we gain more understanding of what things are and what things mean. For example, I remember seeing the movie Grease in the theater when I was six years old. Loved it. They, they made a cool car in that movie. John Travolta talked funny and there were songs. And at the end, the car flew in the air. Then I saw it again as an adult and I was like, yeah, there's why there's no way my six-year-old is going to see this movie. Memories are the same. I remember, for example, there was a family that used to come over to our house when I was a kid. It's one of those situations. They were friends of my parents who happened to have kids. So I would have been like maybe seven years old. I didn't like those kids. And being an only child, I would have been fine being by myself. But I had to be there as long as the parents came over to see each other. Anyway, the oldest kid was maybe like five years older than me. And I remember that I could make him laugh. And at the time, that felt pretty good. I thought, well, that's going to be my thing with this guy. Well, later, I actually heard him tell his sister that he didn't think I was funny. That he legitimately came right out and said that he was laughing at me. He thought I looked funny because I was short and I was overweight. So my innocent self at first would remember him as, hey, that's the guy who thinks I'm funny and who is my friend. Until I learned that wasn't true. So per the added life experience, I now remember him as the person who laughed at my innocence and at my expense. Same guy different circumstances but 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 by the time the added information came into my brain my entire memory of this guy changed so the initial memory of him i remember him oh he was okay he was older than me he thought i was funny the revised memory based on age insight more information and better understanding of the situation yeah i remember that guy i wouldn't spit on that guy if he was on fire and the thing is, neither memory was wrong. They were right for their time, but the memory developed as I did. Pop culture loves memory-oriented stories and plot lines. The concept of brainwashing, for example, ties in here as well. For example, in 1962, the film The Manchurian Candidate was released. In a nutshell, an officer is brainwashed by communists after his army platoon is captured. He, he returns to civilian life in the U.S. where he becomes an unwitting assassin in an international communist conspiracy. The group, which includes representatives of China and the Soviet Union, plans to assassinate the presidential nominee of America using this guy. Similarly, in 1965, there was a film called The Ipcress File, I-P-C-R-E-S-S. -S. Now, Ipcress referred to a book titled, it was an acronym, Induction of Psychoneurosis by Conditioned Reflex Under Stress, or again, Ipcress. And the, the theme or the plot of this was this Ipcress procedure brainwashed characters, in this case, primarily scientists, to all start to think a certain way. 
the website Psychologist World says this about all this. It says the word brainwashed is still informally used to describe someone who holds strong ideas that are implausible and are completely resistant to evidence or common sense or experience or logic. And then the psychology today added this, said mind control and brainwashing have been long lasting goals for governments all around the world. Imagine if you could manipulate your enemy's will with a simple injection. Well, isn't that the dream of a government wanting to control another government? It may sound like we're describing some sort of political thriller, but sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Now, as far as we know, social media platforms, for example, are not trying to inject us with any mind-controlling substances. But we as users are most certainly part of an ongoing experiment happening on social media. Then there's the importance of well-defined policies as mass persuasion using psychological assessment through digital footprints could be used for good things or for bad things. This means of persuasion may help people to lead healthier and happier lives, as well as prompt them to gamble or any other self-harming behavior. Or they could even be used for discrediting individuals or eliciting information, implanting suggestions and other forms of mental control, just like the CIA has tried to do before. Now, today we're not in the midst of the Cold War anymore, but brainwashing or persuasion, if you will, or implanting memories, if you will. It's still enthralling and even lucrative for some. Whether it's online through advertisements, bots, or super secret projects, manipulation and mind malleability are, are, are a matter of interest. And we are all potential subjects. Think about that the next time you give something a like on social media. That information is going somewhere. It's telling someone besides the person whose picture they put up something about what you like, which can go a lot of different places. And now there is more that has been learned about you. Uh, the concept of Big Brother is watching you is not really that far-fetched. I'm not being a conspiracy guy here. Let's just close here. Memory can be a funny thing. We might not think about something that happened for decades. But then what happens? A sight, a smell, a circumstance can trigger the memory to fire. And then that's all we can think about. Now, by recognizing this process, uh, the Loftus theory helps to protect us from becoming victimized by false memories. It shows that it can be done to implant memories into our minds that aren't necessarily true. Hey, let's wrap this up with, with, with one final quote. It's from Oscar Wilde. The one charm about the past is that it's the past. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist designed to illustrate our topic musically. We have for you this time around a Refresher podcast, Lost in the Mall playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. 
just type in refresher podcast dash lost in the mall. Number one is a beautiful standard called Where Are You? And this particular version of it has been done by Jack Joe Friday Webb's ex-wife, Julie London. Number two, Echo and the Bunnymen with Lost and Found. Number three, a great track from the Cars off their Shake It Up record called Since You're Gone. Number four, Beck with the song Go It Alone. Number five is the band Love with the track Can't Find It. Number six, uh, how perfect is this one? From their record music that you can dance to, it sparks with the song called Shopping Mall of Love. Number seven, Careless Memories by Duran Duran. Number eight is the band Screaming Trees with the song Nearly Lost You. Number nine, found a Bob Dylan deep track from his Sidetracks collection called Abandoned Love. And number 10, The Clash with, of course, it had to be on this list, Lost in the Supermarket. That is our new playlist. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast dash Lost in the Mall. Guys, this show simply would not exist without you. I say that all the time. And I mean that all the time. If you enjoyed this and you think other people might enjoy it too, could you do me a favor and please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends? Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you can make a small monthly contribution. It's very simple. You just see the support this podcast link under the episode description where you found it. If you're so inclined, that would be awesome. But whether you do or whether you don't, just please feel free to listen to this show and enjoy it anytime as it is yours. You also can visit our website for anything and everything refresher, including the opportunity to meet some friends of the show at www.refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. That's www.refresherpodcast.com refresherpodcast.yolasite.com. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. The song is called A Day Late. It was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. Like a friend of mine once said, don't clown, just get down. Everyone, please take care and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time.